Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Vegas Therapist. I am your host, Ryan Winder. And remember, what's happening in Vegas is not staying in Vegas, as I bring you helpful tips and all sorts of topic areas, with a Vegas twist of course. So let's get the show started. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's good to have you back in for another episode of The Vegas Therapist. I am your host, Ryan Winder. I've got a great show for you today. Um, something I was thinking about earlier as I introduced myself, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, but sometimes I don't always like to say that for a couple of reasons. One is, I guess for maybe for one reason really, is just because when I say licensed marriage and family therapist, a lot of people assume that I only work with couples or families, but obviously I do so much more work with individuals. Most of my practice is seeing individuals uh, with sometimes marriage issues, sometimes not. I work with couples as well, um, but I do a lot of you know trauma work, addiction work, anxiety, depression, those kinds of things. So I always feel like when I say licensed marriage and family therapist, it kind of feels limiting, limiting in that aspect, but the training and everything you you do and schooling for that is is so much more than just marriage and family. But that's the that's the licensure that I fit under. So that's what I'm classified as. And I'm grateful for that and the program that I went to because uh, there was a lot of training for individual counseling as well. And then just as I've progressed in my career, been able to do a lot of things from the individual level, like do trauma training classes with EMDR and different things and go to, I mean, we always got to do CEUs and stuff. And so um, it's been a great thing to just expand my knowledge and understanding as well as my ability to help a variety of different clients. So that little tangent, just thought I'd go there for a second, but I do have a great show for you today. Uh, Kathy Moffat is going to join the show. She is somebody I've known for 16 years. Uh, We've been intertwined in each other's lives as we've, as I've worked with, um, her family, her son, um, and who she's going to talk about her story with raising a child with severe mental health uh, issues. And uh, it's going to be great. It's mental health, mental health awareness month. Um, and so just, I wanted to do something to kind of help that move forward uh, for her to come on and talk about her story, but really to raise the awareness of mental health and how we really need to continue to get the shame out of it, um, to be more open about not only our struggles, but maybe our struggles as parents and dealing with our kids that may struggle with mental health um, to really create a community to be able to have added support, to have added resources. Um, it just is, it, it, it's, it's something that's just so needed, especially today uh, when there's so much mental health, so many mental health struggles out there. Um, people, kids, families, they need the support, they need the resources. Uh, so I just hope that this can be a part of that and raising the awareness and and bringing us to a better place with that. So before I get to her, just want a couple um, housekeeping things. Again, if you haven't rated or reviewed the show, please do so. It just helps get the ratings up, helps get more viewership. So that's an awesome thing. Um, and then also, if you want to be a part of my Facebook group or follow me on Instagram, The Vegas Therapist is the Instagram tag. And then on Facebook, I have... Ryan Winder, the Vegas Therapist podcast group that you can join and be a part of. And I post things on there as well. So anyway, just want to say thank you for all the support. Again, we hit 100 episodes last uh, last week. And so now it's just moving forward and continue to uh, get to that um, whatever threshold. I don't know if there is going to be a threshold, but just to keep 
producing episodes and moving forward. So I appreciate all the support and look forward to many more, more episodes, many more guests uh, to be a part of the show and just really enjoy providing this for you. So let's get to our guest. All right. At this time, I'd like to welcome in my guest, Kathy Moffat, who is a relationship coach um, and somebody who is helping women and couples that feel stuck in their marriage become more confident. But that's not why she's here today. Although we're going to do a trade-off, right? We're going to do a hard one that I wanted you to do, and then we'll do a relationship one later on down the road when we can fit that in. So, um, But she's actually here today because it is Mental Health Awareness Month. And she has a story that we're going to have her share uh, about her journey with dealing with a son that struggles with mental illness. And so thanks for coming on the show, Kathy. Absolutely. I'm happy. So, to be here. Yeah, yeah. I'm really glad to have you. Um, uh, I was trying to think the other day how long our lives have been intertwined. And it was funny because I actually had a memory that popped up from 13 years ago this week that talked about um, being caught in a snowstorm in Idaho. In Idaho. And, and I knew what that referred to. And so that was at least 13 years ago. So I know it's probably been a long been about time, Ryan. I think it's right. been, I think it's been 16 years. 16 years. 16 okay. years. Yeah. Long okay. time. So long time. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, but uh, so I appreciate on and being willing to share. So I guess just to start, that, that's kind of where I start as far as like just you kind of telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of your story with your son and just wherever you want to start, just I turn. Hey, let's turn jump the time in. Over to you. Yes. First of all, yes. I love that there's a mental um, health week. I love that we are more comfortable talking about it and sharing about it because we're all experiencing it in some way. It's touching somebody in our lives. Mm -hmm, for sure. And for me, it started really early on. My oldest son is 29 now. And I was thinking, when I was thinking about how long I'd work with you, Ryan, I'm like, oh, we've been dealing with this for like 16, 17 years. But in reality, the first time my son started experiencing paranoia and hallucinations was at eight years old. And mm -hmm. as a young mom, it's your first son. It's pretty scary. It's pretty scary. He was paranoid of, anyway, long story, started getting quite paranoid with bugs and the outdoors and had about a six month period where he couldn't go outside or play at recess or get out of the car if we were parked by a bush because of the paranoia of bugs. But his journey really escalated about when he was about 11 or 12 years old and depression set in, anxiety set in, suicidology set in. But it's interesting, Ryan, because I love that you asked me to share my story because for so long, my story was his story and right. my identity was wrapped up in, I was a mother with a son with mental illness. And I really want to be able to separate that. This is my story. He can tell mm -hmm. his story someday, but for sure, my story was um, one of a lot of fear a lot of, a lot of disappointment. You know, when you have a, a young preteen who is talking about suicide, explaining in detail of ways that he wants to end his life. And you're like, what is this? Is this just, um, 
you know, is this normal? Is it normal for kids to feel dark or to be sad all the time? But then when alarming things start really happening, I remember the first time he had had a really bad morning. We were trying to get ready for school. I had other kids and we were late to school and he was upset and I was trying to get him out of the car into school. He was in seventh grade at the time. And he turned to me in the car and he said, mom, he said, if you had spent the night imagining how you would tie a rope to the banister and how long it would need to be to get to the floor. And you had imagined what it would really feel like to wrap that rope around your neck. And then what everybody would experience finding me. He goes, yeah, I could have a bad morning. Hmm. So it it was pretty yeah. real at a pretty young uh, age. And mm -hmm. I started realizing at that point that this was not just um, normal preteen depression, but that yeah. we were dealing with some pretty serious things here. Mm -hmm. so, okay. So what, so as you kind of like that realization started to set in, what did you then, I mean, kind of like step into action type of thing? Was it just just more like kind of deer in the headlights, not sure. Like, how did you approach that once you kind of came to that conclusion that we're in some pretty serious, serious things? I yeah. went into, it was interesting. I was either in action mode or I was in paralyzed mode. Hmm. So I went right into, I called my ecclesiastical leader to look for resources of therapy. I called our pediatrician. I called it's interesting. I didn't know anybody back then who had a child with mental illness. And so mm -hmm. my resources, at least I believed at the time that they were very limited. Um, so I went into action mode or when I wasn't in action mode, I felt completely paralyzed. A lot of time um, hiding in my room. I remember if I could get him to school for the day, I would completely buffer or hide during the day until I knew I had to deal with him again at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of okay. what it looked like for me. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, you mentioned too, and I know like we're just kind of moving through some of the, the aspects of it, but like the disappointment aspect too, like that your, your store is filled with like fear and disappointment. Um, I can imagine some of the fear stuff, but like the disappointment I was thinking about too, because I think along the way I've learned a lot from, you know, working with your son and and, mm -hmm. and even in my own perspective, it's like that notion of like what we expect from ourselves or how we see ourselves moving through something and then expecting them maybe to do the same or why can't they do it this way or whatever, and then them not being able to do it. There's a lot of disappointment there, but that's disappointment that we experience because we're putting an expectation on them that we feel should be attainable based on us functioning in a, in a quote unquote normal way, but I guess getting to a place of accepting that that's not the case for them, that that's a, a it's a, a tough place to be. Or to yeah. yeah. It's a tough yeah. place to be because I mean, I had experienced, I would call them some minor disappointment, just things that mm -hmm. I had expected him to do. And I remember even in scouting or in sports teams that he would play in, and my husband would make comments. My husband grew up with a lot of brothers and he would say, I don't think this is quite normal, Kathy. I think that, you know, specific behaviors that we would see. And I felt small disappointments through those because I didn't really know. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but, and I had other people telling me, I don't think this is normal teachers, principals, um, coaches, 
But when the big disappointment started to land was when I realized, okay, wait a minute, I have this idea of a future for my son that he'll be able to um, participate in life, that he'll be able to serve a mission for our church, that he'll be able to go to college. And it was when he was probably about 14, when I realized none of those things were going to be a reality. I secretly kind of hoped, but the farther we got on, got into it, I knew they weren't a reality. And there was so much disappointment, so mm-hmm. much disappointment and okay. fear, fear. Well, what is our life going to look like if none of these things I expected he would happen? So what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So when you think about the disappointment, then, I mean, now, as you look back, I mean, is, is there a way that you would wish you could see that differently now, or have seen that at the time? I mean, obviously some of it, you kind of have to, you're going to go through just because I think just it's natural to have those wishes or desires mm-hmm. for your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, looking back, like, what do you, what, what do you wish you maybe could have known about that or done differently? I mean, maybe there's not much, it just would, you know, part of it would have probably been there, but. Well, I think, I mean, it's easy for me to say this in hindsight and if somebody yeah, yeah. in the thick of this, it might sound not possible, but the idea of being able to recognize, okay, wait a minute, that what I have, my expectations of what our life was going to look like, it's going to be different and it really is okay. It is going to be okay. I wish I could have understood, okay, I deal with today. I deal with the problem that's happening today. Whatever comes in the future, I'll be able to deal with it too. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. So I think we got up to about, it was 12-ish. So then where did it kind of go? Once you kind of went into action, started looking for resources, where did it kind of go from there? Well, Once we knew that he was um, uh, at at 13, he started hallucinating and we knew that this was more than depression, that there was some psychosis going on. For me, my story then turned into being totally afraid of everything. Mm -hmm. What happens when you put a child on antipsychotics at 13? It went into um, a lot of fearful situations. We admitted Tyler had his first inpatient stay when he was 14. And that was a fascinating, I mean, fascinating is not maybe the best word, but looking back on it, I went into action mode and it paralyzed my spouse. I remember sitting Mm -hmm. in the intake room of the hospital and the doctor is, you know, asking us questions, asking my son questions. And when they you know, when they do an intake at a mental health facility, what happens is they ask you a series of questions and then they will evaluate and they'll say, okay, you can either admit your child or whoever, and they can stay, or you can take them home. And they had told us up front on rare occasions, we will step in and say, you know, we, by medical, whatever reason, we have to admit this child. Anyway, we were one of those cases. So they came back to us and they said, we medically cannot let you take him home. These are the steps you need to do. And my husband was completely paralyzed. He Mm. couldn't sign his name. He couldn't make a decision. He couldn't. And I was, had to go into action mode and be the strong um, 
person in the relationship, which actually is a beautiful thing in marriages. Mm -hmm. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we do that for each other. But for me, the next several years of him being inpatient, coming home, lots of therapy, family therapy, different diagnoses. It was, it was really a hard time. Yeah. Really hard time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, it's like, I'm, I'm, you know, like you mentioned your husband and obviously he's got his own process. You've got yours. And then you've also got two other sons too, right. That they're, that are, that are still (laughs) needing attention. So it's all that's going on and you're trying to manage that also imagine it's feels pretty overwhelming at times. And so how did you, I guess, work through some of that? Well, truthfully, what we were dealing with on a daily basis was suicidology and, mm-hmm. um, you know, Ryan, it was interesting because my memory is, is the people that I talked to the resources, most people were telling me that I needed to make this, I needed to be very afraid. I needed to have plans of, um, action. I need, this is what we needed to do. And it was suffocating me mm-hmm. in the fear of like, is today the day and what would I do? And so on my own, I, well, I wouldn't say on my own. I think with my help, I'm a, a woman of faith that with my help with my heavenly father, I had to get to the place where suicide had to become neutral for me. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, I had to remove the emotion out of if today was the day that he would end his life. And I don't say that flippantly at all, right? at all. And I don't ever want to give the impression that suicide is non-emotional and that we should, that we want to think neutral about it. But for me, it was a tool that I developed. I didn't even have the right words for it, that I could still be invested in my life, in my relationship. It was the only way that I could still be a wife and a mother to my other children and a mother to this son Mm -hmm. and a mother to this son. So that was one of the ways that I was able to, to move through it. But I do think for sure, a part of me, a part of my heart kind of broke off when Mm -hmm. I was going through this, a lot of things that I used to do that I enjoyed, I wasn't able to do anymore. I wasn't Mm -hmm. able to do. And if I had to go back, I wish that I could have known that. Yeah. Doing things that you enjoy. Your heart, it's okay to have a broken heart, but it is possible to still do things in your life. Yeah. Enjoy. Well, it's interesting. I was kind of looking at some articles uh, that kind of talked about this topic. And one of the things it said self care is critical. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of goes along with that aspect of it, right? Where it's like, you still have to find those things that bring you joy. And maybe there's a part of you that may feel guilty for that. But at the same time, if you're not well, if you're not okay, if you're not strong, it's hard to be that person for them too, right? You know, if you're running on empty all the time, it's like what you have to give is going to be be less. So I think that that is a is a critical aspect. Um, one thing going back to the the suicide thing that I will I actually remember us having a conversation when at some time over the phone and you had said that you kind of got to this place of acceptance or new neutrality with it. Mm-hmm. And I almost like me- remember just feeling like a sense of relief, like for you, because it's kind of like at that same time, you know, the idea of, like I said, we're not 
talking about it in a flippant way, but more in just a way of like, kind of like letting yourself go from maybe the responsibility of, of I can either do something or not do something that could push that or, you know, make that worse or make that more true or make that whatever, when in reality, the power really is not in your hands, right? To some level, right? You know, it's it, it, so that idea of it kind of being neutral, I think it's a great tool for people. And if there's people out there that, you know, disagree, that's fine. That's okay. But I, yeah. I, I actually really like that. Um, because again, it's not that I don't care, wouldn't care, wouldn't be sad if that happened, but I can't let the fear of that always be governing everything I do or don't do on a day-to-day basis. So yeah. Right. Cause it takes over your life. It takes over your marriage. It takes over your service or your friends. It takes over everything. Yeah. Living yeah. in that fear. And so, yeah, you yeah. have to find a place where you can step back. And it did, I'm not saying it was like linear and that it just happened. And that once I decided it, it was always neutral, right. for sure. It was, right. it ebbed and flowed, but that was very helpful for me. Okay. Very helpful yeah. for me. All right. Um, one of the things, the other questions I had too, as we're kind of talking about this, this process for you, because um, I think this happens for a lot of us in any situation we want to fix something, right? We want to make it, we want to fix it and, and have it be better. What was your, I guess, story with fixing it or kind of how did that work for you as far as fixing maybe your son or, yeah. Well, I really thought I could fix it for mm-hmm. sure. If mm-hmm. I found the right doctor, if I found the right therapist, if we got the right meds or he went to the right school, right? Mm-hmm. And and my husband was 100% in fix-it mode. Like, let's. Yeah. this is a problem, we're going to solve it. Um, but probably when he was, it was the summer he turned 14, we'd had an appointment with his, um, pediatrician for an infection. It had nothing to do with this. And it was the first time ever the pediatrician excused him and said, I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes. And he said, you know what, Kathy, he said, I don't want to alarm you, but I am seeing early onset schizophrenia Mm. and we, I mean, that was the most terrifying conversation, but he said, and you need to know, this isn't something that is going to go away. So at early on, I start, I mean, it was a process and it still is a process. I mean, he's 29. I still am trying to solve in some ways, Yeah. but at early on, I had to wrap my brain around that this is this isn't a phase. We're not going to go out of it. And so I do think, Brian, I do think that I was able to step out of fix-it mode mm-hmm. for a while. Now, there's been plenty yeah. of times that I felt guilty. That yeah. I wasn't trying to fix it more. But um, but I, I, if you don't mind, I, I think there's a difference between like when, I mean, I think initially that fix it is like, we're going to fix it and they're going to be better and they're going to yes. operate in a normal way, which I think obviously we have to lose that mindset. I mm-hmm. think the idea of like maybe solving things, you know, I think that's an important thing to maybe still have a, a basis for in, in the sense of even like right now, it's like, how do I solve for him being more productive? I think that expectation of productivity has to change. But I don't think you still want to, I mean, you don't want to throw in the towel on everything and be like, okay, we can't right. solve this or we can't fix this. There's things that you still have to address and be be willing to work for on. For sure. 
Yeah. But it's not, so it's not it's just, and I just wanted to clarify that for people that it's not like this all or nothing thing where it's like, okay, we can't fix them. And they're just this, it's just that idea of fixing them. And they're going to be the same person that we, that as we are, they're operate the same way that we do. That's the part that has to shift. And the idea of though helping them and getting them to solve different challenges or, you know, whether it's even just helping them stay on meds or whatever, or, right. you know, be productive in their own way. Those are still challenges that we have to look at. Um, but the idea of like fixing them is, uh, I think what has to shift if that resonates. For sure. And when you, when you said that, Ryan, what came up for me is I think if I could go back or if I could tell somebody who was in this situation, trying to fix my child or fix a solution it would have been way more productive for me to work on myself, hmm. work on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, how can I, you know, be, and I'm just backing up a little bit. I, how can I always help him to have a better day or him to thrive in this situation or him to be successful? It would have been more helpful for me to be like, how can I be the best mom that I need to be today? How can, what do I need to do to show up? to be effective with Tyler, with my son and with his appointments or with school or his principal or any of that Mm -hmm. would have been a way more useful problem for me to solve or Mm. try to fix. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I guess just in thinking a little bit more about that, what do you feel like that would have done not only for I guess maybe you've answered that, but just like feeling like that would have just been a bit, you'd have been a better source of maybe strength for, for him, or just been in a better mindset to operate with him. If you'd have had that mindset, is that what you're thinking? Yeah, for sure. I think it would have just been easier, a lot less, Mm -hmm. a lot lighter. Life was very heavy for, for a really long time. And I, I did believe, you know, if my child is suffering this much, I should be suffering that much too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like an unhealthy codependence, right? Like if, so if they're, unhealthy. if they're suffering, I need to suffer. If mm-hmm. they're doing okay, then I can feel okay. I mean, mm-hmm. it kind of, I mean, that's what it sounds like. I never really thought about that, but that's what it feels like. Right. For it's sure. like a, yeah. And I would even say totally enmeshed in all of their experiences and their up and down of their emotions. Mm-hmm. If I could have understood, I don't have to follow the emotional roller coaster that they're on. How Hmm. can I stay? And I don't even mean positive and happy and in this like great place. I just mean, how can I stay more even killed without going up and down all the time? Mm -hmm. That's not useful. Right. Right. Well, yeah. And I think part of that too, is that then they probably end up feeding off that reaction too, right? Like if I'm up and down um, and if I'm, you know, again, drawing my own sense of whatever off of them, then if they're not, yeah, yeah, then I'm going to be reacting probably more negatively than I need to be when situations mm-hmm. don't go well because I'm dependent upon them to to feel a certain way. So that's great. Yeah. I, I really like that. Um, one thing, and again, this is, I don't know if this is a breaking script or whatever, but I, it, it, as we're talking I'm thinking about the notion of like, again, like you said, where we are right now, mental health awareness month, there's a lot of shame around mental health. How did you manage the shame 
or did you feel that or like how did you manage that around having a son with mental health issues what do you, how did you manage that that yeah well i think for me one thing that was helpful rain is i talked about it mm -hmm. and one of the first times i felt shame is i was talking to a woman that i served in a church calling with and i said something to her about it and she said to me oh you shouldn't talk about that i would just mm -hmm. tell you don't ever say that out loud again and I thought, what, what is wrong with me? Or I, I was so confused by that comment. And so I think it was helpful for me to be, I was pretty open. I still am very open. Um, the shame lives in the quiet, dark places of our life mm -hmm. at night when you're alone and you've had a really rough day and maybe you didn't handle things with your spouse well that day or with your other children. Shame for me really lived in the times when I let this situation completely overtake everything. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great to hear that you have been very open about it and continue to talk about it because obviously that's one of the, the key parts. And I think even just sharing, I mean, obviously we're sharing your story now, but like along the way, just being open about it to be able to potentially help others or help people that could be going, I mean, you just never know when you're going to say right. something or share something that's going to be a relief to other people. Right. And Ryan, I hope that we are getting better as a community and as a society of feeling shame around this. And I do think in the, you know, I don't know, 18 years I've been dealing with this, that things are getting better. People are talking mm -hmm. about it. There is more awareness. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I um I didn't know if to share it in this situation, but like I was thinking about a situation that came up for me um where you know I got a call one Sunday morning from a friend that was a bishop of a ward and he said, Hey, can you come to our meeting before church? It was before church. Um we had a uh a kid in our ward that tried to you know, commit suicide. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just want to know how to deal with it, talk about it, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I went to the, the, their meeting before church, we kind of had this little powwow, the parents were really open about sharing their story, they were not they didn't, they wanted to use it kind of as a way of like awareness and stuff, mm -hmm. which was super amazing, just from the standpoint of like, this has just recently happened, and they were already kind of willing right. to, you know, have that approach. Um, like not even, a, you know, hadn't even been a week. And so we had planned this thing where it's like, okay, we're going to scrap the second hour meeting, the third hour meeting, second hour meeting, Ryan, you're going to meet with the parents, talk this third hour, you're going to meet with the youth and just have a conversation about these things. So then I went home, tried to put something together yeah. and just like, then, you know, kind of went into this whole notion of like, okay, here's the realities of this thing. And then, and then, and then the third hour, we kind of talked about it with youth, but I was just amazed by again, the willingness of the parents to just not feel that sense of shame and whatever, That's amazing. and just be open and just kind of be up and up front and center to talk about it. And again, not to feel the shame of like, Hey, we don't have perfect lives. We don't have perfect situations. Kids struggle, you know, things are going to happen, mm -hmm. but we need to be open to talk about it. And then even just the response within the youth and the parents that were there, um, just how open they were, like I said, I think it is getting better. Um, but obviously we still have a, you know, room for growth, but it right. definitely is getting better for sure. So, right. um, all right. So I don't know, are we, 
where are we at in your story then? Where are we at? <laughs> I don't know if we got well, the yeah. interesting thing is my story is ongoing. Yeah, That's for sure. The reality. Sure. I mm -hmm. have an adult, you know, it's definitely interesting. It's totally different world dealing with a teenager with mental illness versus dealing with an adult child with mental mm -hmm. illness. So my story is ongoing, Ryan. Okay. Okay. <laughs> ongoing. That's good. I mean, if you have right. a specific question, but the truth is, is it, it's a lot of hard and it's yeah. a lot of enduring. And mm -hmm. anyway, yeah. 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 Um, I, I think you've answered this a little bit along the way, but what do you feel like you've learned the most about yourself through the process, which is ongoing, but what have yeah, you learned that's so for sure about ongoing. yourself? Yeah. I have learned that I am more resilient than I thought. Mm -hmm. I have learned that if I am willing to put in the work to look for resources, I am capable. There is a lot out there. Mm -hmm. I have learned that this is not about me. You mm. know, for a long time, the belief that I had done something wrong or if I had parent differently, or like, even if I had handled his first episodes of psychosis at eight years old, if I'd handled it differently, then maybe we would have a different result right now. But I have learned this is his journey and I am blessed or cursed, whatever, whichever, you know, it changes with the day to be his mother. And I need to worry about how I, what, I, what do I need to do? to show up as the best mom I can be for him. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's one of the things I've learned. Yeah. And I think that that goes back to stuff you said too, like whether it's yeah. yourself growing, taking care of yourself. Um, I also look, really love that, what you said about it, it not being about you. And I think that that also is like part of where shame can get in the mix, right? Where it's like, we start to feel like, well, I must be bad or I'm bad or what did I, and then and I think even in doing that, that can blind us from dealing with what's in front of us as well, too. For when sure. we start to think of it as like, oh, you know, did I do something bad? Did I do something wrong? Is this a punishment for me or whatever it is? Um, then that's where our focus is. And then, like I said, I think it can blind us from dealing with just what's what's in front of us. Right. That's right. So but I think that was that was really good insight, because I think that is a tendency for parents to jump into that space of like you know this is something about me rather than focusing on the kid themselves and kind of what they might be going through and their experiences which may have nothing to do with them like you said it may have nothing it just can be something that is right I mean yeah like a lot of times being a family therapist too it's like there are dynamics in a family that can cause stress or cause anxiety which you can work on but when it comes to, you know, schizophrenia or full-blown mental, I mean, that, those are things that are, they're there, right? They're going to, they're, 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 they're coming regardless of the environment, regardless of whatever. And so, yeah, anyway, I think that was really, I appreciate that. Um, what about, and I think we touched on this a little bit, but what about things that you wish you knew now kind of looking back i think we touched on one of them but anything else that you wish you would have known kind of looking back or had a better handle on or maybe like if which is basically to say 
what could you tell people that might be in the thick of it? Right. Things that would help them, right? I, I think what I would tell somebody is don't be afraid to meet your own desires and your own wishes and take care of yourself along this journey. Don't mm -hmm. be afraid to be happy and find joy in your life. Even when you, you know, have a child who's, you know, dreaming and figuring out how they are going to take their life. You know, it seems so um, like counter, like they go against each other. Like if this tragedy or this horrible thing is happening in my life, then how could I have joy right now in my marriage? Or how could I do anything that brings me pleasure or even just something that is exciting, spend time on doing something. So that's kind of, I mean, that the whole term of self-care, I think that's plays a role in it, but don't be afraid to take care of yourself too. Don't be mm -hmm. afraid to um, put energy and emotion and time into your marriage, your other children. The child with mental health illness, we can set that down for even a couple hours and do other things. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, what I also wish that I would have known or that I would tell somebody, and I hope that this comes off in a positive way, is it's a long haul. This is what we in our church call enduring to the end. And living in a place from totally being afraid of that isn't useful. So knowing, trusting yourself, we're going to get through this. I will get what I need in the moments that I need it. If there are days or moments or hours that are good, enjoy them, relish them. And there is something beautiful about maybe not knowing what the future holds. I spent a lot of time stuck in that, trying to figure out what tomorrow would look like, or next year would look like. I remember, I think every doctor we've worked with and every therapist and Ryan, you've asked me this so many times, where do you want him to be in a year? And I wish I would have had the foresight to say, you know what? It actually doesn't matter. We're going to mm -hmm. just stay present in today um, because there was so much fear in the future. It's okay. Does that make sense? I don't know if oh, I was yeah, very yeah. clear with that. No, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense. Because like I said, I think that, it, I think us doing that to ourselves mm -hmm. is again, one of those things that sets us up for disappointment. But I That's think right. also too, it's really kind of like more of like how that person needs to think too. They need to think more in the moment. And again, if they, if they, because if you think, okay, where do I want them to be in the moment, then obviously you're going to take them to that place too. Right. And right. I think that that's sometimes even as therapists, maybe we, you know, mishandle that a little bit where it's like, okay, we want them to be in a certain place mm -hmm. as opposed to how do you just deal with today? Right. Yeah. How do you, you know, and, and maybe build some momentum for a future, but for like sure. really not getting much beyond just like today. Okay. The next day. Cause that's the whole thing with mental illness is like today can be great. Right. And tomorrow I could forget to take my meds. And then the next day I forget to take them. And then all of a sudden I'm spiraling and whatever. Right. And, and you're like, Oh shit. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, so anything that I thought was maybe going well now is, you know, now it's back to whatever and maybe worse. And now we got to reset whatever. So, 
So I do think that's great advice because the 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 where do I want them to be in a year? Where do I want them to be in a month? Um, I mean, yeah, it, it's very much just today. Well, and even Ryan, if I could have had those discussions, not from a place mm -hmm. of fear, but maybe a place of more confidence and hope, mm -hmm. like it, the talking about the future was so just paralyzed me with fear. And so mm -hmm. if I could have been taken on the idea that it's okay that I don't know the future, maybe that's a beautiful gift that I don't know the future. Um, and I was more confident and reassured in myself. I could have handled those conversations a little bit differently, if that makes sense, because we still do want to talk about momentum. We still do want to talk about, you know, how do we graduate from high school? How do we learn to have a job? How do we learn to move out of the house? But if I could have come from a place, a diff, not from fear, it would have been different for me. Yeah. That's the whole goal here. And that I hope my message is my story is this isn't my son's story. What's happening with him the parent's story of what's happening with them is where it will, you can feel more empowered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I don't know. No, that's good. <laughs> you don't know, but you do know that, that, that was great. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if that made sense. It, it made, no, it made a lot of sense. And I think, like I said, you know, kind of taking it back to, like I said, this is the parent's story. This is my story. Mm -hmm. It's going to be different than the person going through it and their story because they uh, it just is and that's what you're trying to kind of help with today that's why i brought you on is to kind of talk about your experience from the other side and dealing with you know a son that has mental illness and what that was like for you and how that can be you know helpful to others that might be yeah. going through it so I, I think that was great so okay one more thing that i yeah. would tell somebody who is going through this is if you could you know, I, this idea, I used to think a lot, my husband and I are not on the same page. We disagree with treatments, or I think we should medicate. He doesn't, I think we should do therapy. He doesn't, or I let this be a problem between us. And mm -hmm. I would tell somebody now, even if you don't agree completely, even if you have different methods, if you could adapt the mindset, it's me and my spouse against this problem that is so much more useful. Like we will mm. figure this out together and maybe it's okay. It's not a problem that we disagree, but letting it be something that's always living in between you and your spouse is pretty difficult. Yeah. Pretty difficult. So that yeah. would be one piece of advice I would give somebody is first of all, find a way to and I think I said this earlier in your marriage, if you are married in your relationship to set that down for a bit and be able to talk and enjoy and build a beautiful relationship with that set aside sometimes. And then also we will figure this out together. It's us against the problem instead of the problem between us. Yeah, that's great. I, I appreciate that's a good place to probably tied up. Cause I think that is, you know, definitely critical and, you know, it's, it's already going to be a challenging thing. And then if it starts to rip away the relationships that you have with your spouse or your other kids or whatever, mm -hmm. then it's, you know, it makes it even more so a, ch a challenge. So 
Yeah, I think that's great. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this and and Absolutely. Uh, sharing your insights. And uh, like I said, we definitely will do a more, not that this isn't, this was, I mean, enjoyable. It wasn't, I mean, I don't know if you want to call it fun, but it's fun to, to talk and good. to share things. Yeah, yeah. But we can do a relationship one as okay. well, so. <laughs> well, and Ryan, I would just say that for so many years, this was my identity that mm -hmm. I was Kathy and I had a son with, I used to say serious mental illness, mm -hmm. uh, but I have learned this is probably part of my story. It's not my identity anymore. Yeah. And that has been very healing for me. I could, was able to, I don't set it down. He, I still deal with him every day and I love that, but I am separate from that. That's not who I am. Yeah. Well, it's like, it kind of reminds me really quick too, about like my last episode I did on trauma mm -hmm. and had the, the author of the unbroken book come on and, you know, trauma is kind of the same thing. It becomes our identity right. and we just define ourselves through that trauma. And she has this amazing exercise called 100 other things where it's like, mm -hmm. okay, you list the negative things that trauma defines you as. And then you list a hundred other things, positive things that you are right. Right. And when you, so that you can actually visualize and see that, that you are so much more than just right. that trauma or that thing that happened maybe one time, but then is all consuming, even though this is a little bit different because you're, you know, it's a, it's a continual thing, but you're still so much more than just that. Right. So right. I think that's very powerful for people to, to feel in different ways, right? It's not just with trauma. It's like you want your identity. Your identity can be so much more than just I'm um, a parent with a son or daughter that has mental illness. No, I'm Kathy Moffat, the relationship coach. I'm, That's right. You know, Kathy Moffat, the I'm so many the wife, other things. The, right, right. That's right. Yeah. So many so, other things. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That That's awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, Ryan. And I'm sure we'll talk soon. Do you have 16 more years left in you? <laughs> sure. You don't right. have to answer that. You don't have to. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a great day. Hey. And uh, like I said, we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you again, Kathy, for coming in and sharing your story. Um, in my opinion, there was a number of great insights and help for people that may be struggling with the same thing. Um, I think the principles that she shared also uh, can cover other areas. If you have a child that has an addiction, um, you know, mental health issue, any kind of challenge that you might be going up against, there was, I think there's a lot of overlap in, in some of the things that she shared and in whether it's your own process and working through it and making sure that you keep yourself in a good place, uh, self-care wise, you know, relationship wise, other family member wise, like that you have the ability to do all that and still deal with, um, you know, the child that may be struggling and in particular, the relationship act factor, you know, keeping your relationship strong, being able to be on the same page, the best that you can. Um, again, there's going to be differences, different ideas, things that you think might be better, things that they might think could be better as far as a, an approach, but being able to work at it to get together and not, not let something like that come between you, uh, between your relationship or between your family for that matter. Cause I'm, I'm sure sometimes there's, you know, even some of the other kids potentially could have 
uh, frustrations or feel neglected or whatever it may be. So it is a lot of work. It is a challenge or can be a challenge. So uh, I, I really think that the things that were shared today offer a lot of help to those who may be in a similar situation in their lives. And uh, for me, I just hope that, you know, today is this is an episode that you'll share with other people because uh, I think that message needs to get out there. It's Mental Health Awareness Month, but more than just that, it's just something that more and more of us are, are dealing with in our lives. And so all the help that we can get, all the support that we can have uh, is only a plus for us. And so please share this episode uh, with friends you know, family, whoever it is. Just get it out there. Uh, it's it's a great one to have for for people and and maybe something they just need to hear as a way for them to kind of bring relief into their lives and a sense of hope or a sense of understanding uh, for for the challenges that they may be having. Uh, this is the Vegas Therapist signing off. Until next time.